man. There's a beverage here, huh? Does anybody here know how many times I've had to watch Funny Lady? I'm gonna get that gun of mine, and I'm gonna change you from a rooster to a hen with one shot. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Who Shot Ya? I'm your host, Ify Wadiway, and in the digital booth with me are my friends. So let me go ahead and introduce you to them. First up, you know him, you love him. It's Alonzo Duralde. Alonzo, what's good? Uh, I'll tell you, if this is one of those weeks where I'm glad you asked me first, because I, 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 I think everybody else would take mine if I didn't go first. Uh, my what's good is Amanda Gorman, America's new Ooh. favorite poet. Uh, she uh, did the reading at the uh, at the inauguration this week, had the best outfit. Let's, oh, let, yeah. let, let me just cut right to that. But also uh, just was the just dose of everything we needed in that moment um, came together, you know, brought it to the podium, uh, gave us a little bit of 90s coffee house flavor, but also said all the things we needed to say about this country and it's fucked up past, but we need to work past it anyway. And we need to, you know, like carry it with us and improve it and do all the things. She's an LA native, so we can be proud of that. Uh, so yeah, I just think she's awesome. I'm very excited about her sort of pending uh, moment. Uh, I think she is gonna be, you know, we're all talking about her this week and I think we will be for a while now. So, and I don't even like poetry is not my personal thing, but you know, in moments like that where it really delivers, I get it, I get the poetry thing. So my, my what's good is Amanda Gorman. Ooh, okay. That's a solid what's good. You know, poetry's all within us. Yeah, and I, I'll, I'll say she looked fantastic, but my future best friend, Michelle Obama, was my uh, sartorial highlight Fair from enough. inauguration. She looked freaking incredible. The, 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 the inauguration fits, you know, were I mean, out of this world. You know, someone who also has great fits is none other than Drea Clark, poetry, <laughs> in every, emotion. In every sense of the word. <laughs> <laughs> you should see when I have fits. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what's good? <laughs> um, what's good with me is not on the grand scale of Alonzo's, though I'm so glad you shouted that out um, because she did a fantastic job. But I'm excited. Um, our friends at Vidiots, Maggie McKay, um, who has been on the show, and we love Vidiots, they are bringing back their virtual trivia. And I am guest hosting this weekend on Sunday Ooh. night, January 24th at 5.30 p.m. Pacific. Um, and I dragged Jordan Cruciola into guest host oh. with me. So we get to come up with... Um, a category and then eight questions in a category and Vidiot's trivia if you've never played and I encourage you to follow them and jump in if not this but a future game um, is hardcore and uh -huh. so I have not yet pinned in Jordan for even our category and you know her so she's going to want to aim for trash because that woman loves trash cinema so I'm excited for that I'm excited to come up with questions Decided to stump the smarties. They could be, be all time. questions about um, happiest season. I think she would be totally on board for that. Oh my god! For real, like Jennifer's body, just <laughs> end of list. There, there we go. Yeah. All right. Well, let me keep this ball rolling and introduce you to one of our amazing, wonderful, esteemed guests that we always love to introduce you to. It's film programmer for the Turner Classic Movies and co-host of the I Saw What You Did podcast, Millie DeChirico. 
What's good? Hello. Thanks for Ooh. having me. Um, I, I think what's good for me is my home state of Georgia. Ooh, I just have yeah. to say, I I live in L.A., but I have recently gone back to the East Coast to be with some family for the COVID ride out. And um, I went up to Georgia to go camping over the past couple of days. It was a very isolated area of Georgia that I, I actually had never been to. I lived in Atlanta for 30 years and never went to Cumberland Island, um, which is this secluded, wonderful, you know, national seashore. And and, uh, I was only there for a couple days, but I was like, man, I miss Georgia. What's going on with Georgia? And they just did like, I mean, they're doing big things. Like they got two good senators in there and uh, I'm just, I'm missing it. So that's what's good for me. Ooh, that's a solid what's good. I'm very happy about it. It's, it's a new blueness. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes. I'm just sitting here trying to figure out a way to work Gladys Knight into my comet, and I can't do it smoothly because I'm no iffy Wadaway, but just know the intent was there. Yeah. Oh, yes, she will. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Hey, Iffy, what's good with you? Oh, uh, man. What's hey, good iffy, with you? Hey, Iffy, are you on a midnight train? You guys, uh, I can't. I don't. Yeah. Know, I got them. Got it. I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, on a midnight train of sorts. I got a, you know, I had a turntable that I got for uh, a while ago. I think I talked about it on my whiskey, but it was bad. It was wobbly, and it would make all the like S's real harsh. So I finally caved and bought like an Audio Technica turntable. And your boy's been jamming all day, and I know my neighbors hate me because you know <laughs> I because I went. I got you know Biggie's greatest hits. I have Justice. So it's a very eclectic mix uh mf doom and you know after this we're going to listen to some uh you know blue magic and let the sign show come in dummy dummy come right on in now oh you want to hear him sing kid we can't pay for the licensing movies. yeah so if well, he's on the midnight meat train yeah, yeah. <laughs> well your neighbors will be even more mad if they know you own those gargantuan headphones headset oh yeah Oh yeah, no, I got a big old headset and I'm ready, you know, I'm ready to talk movies because this 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 is going to be a fun one to talk about. I'm very interested uh, to hear everyone's takes because today we're discussing Promising Young Woman and of course we're taking a Who Shot Line call and as always we'll have our staff picks. But first it's time for our new segment, <laughs> Interdict. Is this, short for, is this important? Do I care? Each of us will read a news segment and ask the question, is this important? Do I care? This past week, Army Hammer announced that he would be leaving the production of the upcoming film Shotgun Wedding, where he would have co-starred opposite Jennifer Lopez. The reason for his departure can be traced back to the recent leaking of some of his private DMs with the Instagram account House of Effie, where he made some very sexually aggressive statements, including, I am 100% a cannibal. I want to eat you. I've cut the heart out of a limb living animal before and eating it warm these dms are not verified but other women have stepped forward and alleged they too were mistreated by hammer in the statement released by variety hammer said i'm not responding to these bullshit claims but in light of the vicious and spurious uh spurious online tech attacks against me i cannot in good conscience now leave my children for four months to shoot a film in the dominican republic is this important do you care i don't know why i love the detail that it's in the dominican republic that that, that weirdly made his yeah. pr statement like we don't care oh. where you're shooting bro yeah that's my, not the yeah the my my first thing on this is and stay with me 
But I don't care that he said he was 100% a cannibal because that's a, a nonsense claim. And unless mm-hmm. Army Hammer is found consuming human flesh, unwilling human flesh, whatever, that's all nonsense. My thing with this whole story, and, and I know the movie related side of it, which we can get into, is the idea of how much thinner that veil is between celebrities and people and then any interaction with them being made public. My problem with this is more he is someone who has been on the record about having interest and being involved in a BDSM lifestyle and um, involved in kink. But how he's verbalized it and his approach to it is not what the people in that lifestyle acknowledge as like safe and consensual. Like he's had, you know, he said something about how he was into rough sex, but then he didn't want to do that with his wife because it seemed disrespectful. And, and how that splits the line of like what people who are involved in consensual kink are doing it is there's respect on both sides and if you're viewing it in any way that your partner's not disrespectful then you're not doing it correctly anyway Mm, and i think it's it's in a similar way that strangely the whole 50 stage of gray also annoyed me because it completely misrepresented this entire community in a way that i find harmful for people who might just be finding out about it through these people and they're finding out about it wrong and what they hear perpetuates Things that can hurt people. And that is my why it's important to me, you guys. And why, indeed, I care. Yeah, so I'm going to crack my knuckles as the horny expert uh, steps up to the plate and uh, oh, Lord. jumps, dives deep. I'm going to go back to deep right field but, for this. But yeah, no, you. I think you're 100% correct. And you basically said everything I was going to say, whereas you have a lot of people repeating this because everyone, you know, it's still and it all comes down to the, like the idea of sexual taboo. Like no one. And, and you're right. Army Hammer has been so caught in 4K doing this because there was a time where Army didn't know that people's like were uh, visible, much like Ted Cruz, who liked the Corey Chase (laughs) top 10 Pornhub actress uh, uh, video on 9-11. It's the same way he was found liking all this thing. And I think him being unable to explore it and being ashamed of it causes him to not actually understand that there's a lot of consent. There's more boundaries than vanilla sex would have because it's very dangerous because of the things that you're doing. And I think you're right where I just... I, it kind of was this repeating step of people kind of like mimicking what they think it is instead of doing the honest due diligence to find out what it is. And and I think that that's one part. I think the other thing that's coming to more of a head and I just something I've been seeing a lot is just this kind of this uh, abuse of power. Right. It was like, you know, you have these people in your DMs and like, you know, as much as you want to give someone agency that they're adult, you have to also remember that you're army fucking hammer and and they will say anything to be able to lay in a bed with you and that is something you have to take note of and you know and maneuver specifically because of that uh and so i think i I agree with you this is important for that reason i just my small thing that i want to add and i'm glad you said i hope i didn't sound like i was glossing over any of the women he was having exchanges with or interactions with like they are certainly in the right for whatever they're doing. And if they feel bad about any of it, I I don't like it. Moving down the road. Uh, also announced this week, uh, Warner Brothers says they want to make a prequel to Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory called simply Wonka. 
Uh, the film will be directed by Paddington director Paul King and uh, produced by Harry Potter producer David Heyman. Studio describes it as focusing on, quote, a young Willy Wonka and his adventures prior to opening the world's most famous chocolate factory. Unquote. The movie is set for release on March 17th, 2023. Is this important? Do you care? I'm I once I heard Paddington director. I kind of got excited. I was like, I, I'm curious to see. Also, how are they going to navigate the Oompa Loompas? Let's t- like, like, please, let's see how you try and address you know, they that. They might not be in it. Like, it's yeah. it's before the the factory. So, and to me, it's also, they say a young Willy Wonka, but I'm interested to see how young. Like, that, that yeah. changes a lot of it. If it's teenage, if it's elementary school age there's yeah. so many things that, for yeah, all we know having, ap- ap- after the closing credits he'll be standing at a, at a at a train station window saying one ticket for loompa land please yes. <laughs> yeah 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 here's hoping I, I, yeah to me i i guess i imagine it's like him getting all the skills to build this factory and like i don't know it, it i paddington director i'm in I, I i i was out but then i'm in is there are there any rumors to like who could be the young i haven't heard any but somebody on twitter posted um lakeith stansfield and i was (laughs) like i would stab someone to watch lakeith (laughs) as willy wonka (laughs) like i mean yeah it it would depend on what what how young is young is like like yeah was saying i mean i'm i'm torn because like if he yes i say let the paddington director do anything he wants but at the same time it's like i prequels so often are just like you know we know the end point and so they have to throw in you know barney meet fred you know that whole sort of muppet babies thing if we know it's going to happen later we have to set it up now and that's so rarely interesting at all um you know i don't know i i think the original willy wonka movie is so great roald Dahl hated it so go figure uh but you know it, it was the confluence of a lot of things that was right at that moment where it was the early 70s, so it could be a little weirder and a little darker. It was also coming off of the wave of the the big bloated mega musical. So in relatively speaking, it was kind of stripped down. Um, I, I don't know. I This fills me with much trepidation. I don't like prequels in general. But again, it is the Paddington guy. Um, Russell Crowe. Um, for those who don't remember... And you should. It's a fantastic movie. The film Master and Commander is a 2003 19th century British naval drama starring Russell Crowe. Why are we talking about a 2003 movie about a 19th century British naval drama or captain? Well, this last week on Twitter, someone posted, quote, lots of folk complaining about lack of sleep during the pandemic. May I recommend Master and Commander starring the usually captivating attention grabbing Russell Crowe. I've never made it past the 10 minute mark. You're welcome. And thanks, Russell. And then that person, of course, tagged russell crowe please see my aforementioned there is much too thin a line between celebrities and people writing them russell crowe responded quote that's the problem with kids these days no (laughs) focus peter weir's it's such a good grumpy old man no focus peter weir's film is brilliant an exacting detail-oriented epic tale of fidelity to empire and service regardless of the cost incredible cinematography by russell boyd and a majestic soundtrack definitely an adult's movie subtle burn from russell crowe the internet exploded in discussion but people is this important to do you care 
It's only important in that, like, if I complain about something on Twitter, do not snitch tag the person. Oh, oh even, my even gosh. praising something on Twitter, yeah. don't snitch tag the person. If oh. I wanted them included in the conversation, I would have put it. Why this clown felt the need to snitch tag himself, I don't know. Yeah, uh, because he's he's a kid. He he really, and, and, that's, and the, I think that's what I like this, uh, you know, um, of the, so much about this version of the story is because we've seen so many versions of this and the person's like, you listen here you little shit you know and this one <laughs> is like russell, russell crowe's just like like such a like man waves fist at moon like i mean at, at the clouds, <laughs> the clouds. Where he's like oh these kids like it's almost like he doesn't even blame him he's like oh you're a kid that's why you don't like it and then with and your it, mtv it, video games yeah yeah exactly <laughs> and it makes Get it so much Peter more Weir's fun lawn. Yeah. But yeah, um, yeah. I, I because it's just like some kid. I really don't care. Now, if this was a YouTube channel, I'd have many words because we've already heard my opinions on YouTube movie reviewers. But you know, we're not going to talk about that because I don't have an extra thirty minutes to go into uh, that. Uh, <laughs> hey, yeah, I'm a I, YouTube I, movie reviewer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. That, you know, <laughs> you know what? He's I mean. not going to give you those thirty <laughs> minutes, Alonzo. Yeah. Oh, I, I will say this though. I totally have the patience for that kind of movie now that I'm older than I did in my 20s I have to say because like I love like a really slow moving historical barge epic thing like any kind of movie that's just like a glacier that's just (laughs) floating I'm like yes I just want to get sucked in but you know if I was 22 maybe I'd be looking at my phone a few times I don't know you know but it's just that thing like I, I, yeah, I hate the the snitch tag. I just I think it's so weird. It's a weird yeah. impulse. Like I I just can't imagine. And, and it wasn't like the tween itself was kind of crafted like it was this. Uh, it seemed like it was being a, like a type of movie review. It wasn't just like uh, you know no capitalization, no punctuation, kind of just shit posting. Right? It was like something that, like he like that person meant to write this and then just tagging him at the end is just so i'm like who does that like I, it's that question i keep having of like who does that you know yeah uh, someone who values russell crowe's attention more than anything else yeah <laughs> i do appreciate that we live in a world where snitch tag are words that mean something now oh yeah <laughs> take me back to when they didn't oh, man. <laughs> we're gonna be taking a break but when we come back we'll be talking about promising young woman who shot your friends this episode is brought to you by our friends at storyblocks storyblocks is dedicated to being the world's best royalty-free stock media subscription service with an ever-growing library of stock assets including music images sound effects and more yeah no i and i really like the fact that even when you download the assets from storyblocks you can keep them after your subscription ends Ooh, that is a good one as if he would say ooh, ooh ah, ah. <laughs> um uh uh, yeah, it's pretty affordable. They have a bunch of subscription plans and tools. They also have an unlimited all-access plan where you get unlimited downloads of everything in their library. And like Ify said, even when your subscription ends, everything you've downloaded is yours to keep. And then something that's of interest to me and kind of references our whole ethos is in 2020, Storyblocks launched Restock, which is an initiative to increase diversity in their library. Anyone who has ever worked with 
source materials knows um, you get a lot of the same faces in these much like you get a lot of the same faces in movies um, <laughs> whereas Storyblocks is now committed to having 20% of their footage with people containing black indigenous and people of color by 2022 and plans to expand their scope to include more underrepresented groups in the future good on them so yeah explore their library and subscribe today at storyblocks.com slash who shot that's storyblocks.com slash w-h-o-s-h-o-t welcome back to fireside chat on kmax with me in studio to take your calls is the dopest duo on the west coast oliver wong and morgan rhodes go ahead caller Hey, uh, I'm looking for a music podcast that's insightful and thoughtful, but like also helps me discover artists and albums that I've never heard of. Yeah, man. Sounds like you need to listen to Heat Rocks every week. Myself and I'm Morgan Rhodes and my co-host here, Oliver Wong, talk to influential guests about a canonical album that has changed their lives. Guests like Moby, Open Mike Eagle, talking about albums by Prince, Joni Mitchell, and so much more. Yo, what's that show called again? Heat Rocks, deep dives into hot records. Every Thursday on Maximum Fun. Welcome back to Who Shot You? I'm the host of You Wide Away. In the studio with me are Drea Clark, Millie DeCherico, Alonzo Duralde. And today we're talking about Promising Young Woman. Drea, would you mind providing us with a brief synopsis? All right. So, um, Promising Young Woman stars Cassie. Uh, played by Carrie Mulligan. Um, and uh, she is a young woman who is a very disinterested barista. She lives at home with her parents. Um, she's living a very sort of low-key, lethargic, not doing a lot life. And then we discover in the evening she goes out and pretends to be incredibly intoxicated, where assuredly a nice guy will look out for her and offer to take her home. And every single time she seems to end up at their place with them mauling her, at which point she recovers, reveals that she is not actually um, drunk and shames them a lot. Um, This is something that she set off of because of a um, assault suffered by her best friend, Nina, who is no longer with her or with their world. And I don't want to reveal too much about that, but it's shaped all of Cassie's worldview and everything she's doing. Um, throughout all of this, it's a, it seems to be both a cathartic and a revenge mode that she's on. Um, but she meets, uh, re-meets a young man that she had previously gone to medical school with before she dropped out. And a slight romance starts, um, stirring up a lot of her um, wondering about the path that she's on and if it's the right one for her, the right one for Nina, the right one for the world. Um, and can I say, in just in terms of getting us all on the same page, I feel like it's impossible for us to properly discuss this mm-hmm. without spoiling the ending. Am I Agreed, alone in yeah. that? Because yeah. um, I'd like, A, for us to all know that, and B, for anyone listening to know that the ending is key to any really digging yeah, into this film kinda, at all. It kind of like is one of the main things I want to talk about too. So I kind of, yeah. I, I, I don't I, need to start there. I just want to say yeah. if, if, oh, if we, you haven't I, yet seen promising young woman to know pause. that we will be giving away a lot of juicy bits. And if you want to like come back to this after you have consumed it yourself, 
Um, we'll probably just we don't we try and avoid a lot of spoilers normally, yeah. but I don't think that's really possible here. There's so many avenues to discuss here; it's hard to know where to jump in. Yeah. But um, I think you know one of the things that's laid out for us, and one of the reasons I think the casting in this movie is so so effective, are you know we have. Um, there's two females who are also complicit in this story of what Cassie and her friend went through. One is played by Alison Brie. One is played by who was like a friend of theirs who just like went along with it. It's just that boys being boys or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. And then Connie Britton, as Alonzo mentioned, as the dean of this school and that how bringing them to both have to acknowledge their complicity is an important part of it. But I also thought I was grateful that the attention was paid that there were also women involved in that because that is the case. Like things don't perpetuate just because one kind of person is perpetuating them. It's like systemic because everyone's involved. And likewise, I appreciated that although we meet many trash men in this movie, many trash men, I liked that we see this attorney who's been broken Mm -hmm. down with guilt and remorse over what he's done. And that also... I was so relieved that Cassie's dad, Clancy Brown, was just like, nice guy, dad. Like, if this story had been told and she had, like, daddy issues or an abuse, like, it would have been so too far. And it's that kind of handling throughout that, like, I really credit Emerald Fennell, Fennell, the director, with because... Those details count for so much, like the whole world of it and who we're looking at bad guys and good guys. It's, you know, it could be so easy to weigh one way or another. You know, it's so interesting because when when you're talking about sort of Nina and like how Nina is like a character in the story that you just never see. Mm -hmm. And there was a moment where I thought to myself, like, because, you know, in some of these films, like they use a lot of flashback and there was like a moment where I thought, is that going to happen in this movie where there's going to be these like flashback scenes to sort of cement why Nina is so important to Cassie. And when it, when it didn't happen, I was at first kind of going, I don't know what I think about that. But then eventually I think I decided that I liked it that way because it kind of felt like she's just kind of this omnipresent focus of the film that didn't really have like like it just kind of it was just kind of she was just kind of there hanging over every conversation and every interaction and the fact that there wasn't sort of those scenes to like orient her in like the time and space of the movie I think made it kind of you know I don't know it just kind of added to the the pulse of the movie. Well, you I could guess. project onto that as well. Like yeah. Yeah. the idea of the catharsis of this for Cassie, how many both assault survivors, but people who have loved people who are assault survivors and not been able to do anything about it. And to have the, like Nina is a stand in, in so yeah. many ways in this fictional way for that. And us not seeing it allows her to do that more fully. That, that's kind of, I felt the same way where Nina could, could have been just, in every, it's almost in the sense of like, this is for your Nina, whoever your Nina may be. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing I wanted to talk about the different like men in this movie was one thing I th- thought that really made this movie so uncomfortable is it did a good job of hitting on all the different ways you could be complicit from the person who was actually doing it to the 
love in his interest, which I didn't recognize Bo Burnham because I only see him as the kid in the room in the YouTube videos. I realized that Bo Burnham has aged and I only see him as when I saw him on YouTube. And also Bo Burnham is tall as hell. Uh, those are the two, <laughs> two Bo Burnham takes I had. But also just this guy who's like so nice up until you find out like, and it, it like, you're like, oh, this is going to be the perfect one for him. He's very respectful of her boundaries. He's this, that, and all this. And you find out he was in the room. He was there. Like you even like you were there and, and you did didn't nothing. stop it. Yeah, yeah. You didn't stop it. And you could be this great guy there. And I and I like the idea. And I it's 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 so interesting. Um, just how there with this movie, I think they do a lot of things that are simplistic that can fit many things. Like the he was just a kid narrative. Like uh like they were like, we were just kids, we were just kids, we were just kids. And I feel like that is such a excuse used for white males like i felt it on like a level of a black man where like the racist shit happens and they're like he was just a kid or you you rape someone he's just a kid and it's like this info like y'all were in college you were drinking and you medical saying, school we, medical yeah, school yeah. yeah yeah oh yeah so they were way yeah way older but you kept saying we were kids alonzo did you see the uh, movie yeah <laughs> i did uh, here's the thing i'm i'm not gonna dig hard on this one because uh, look generally speaking i will I will argue and discuss movies till the cows come home. I think this one has, there are, I have real problems with a lot of the narrative choices of this movie. I have real problems with a lot of the structuring of this movie, but at the same time, I understand why people are responding to this movie so strongly and why it means so much to them and why they are, it's, it's beyond just a movie to them. I mean, old man story now in the early 90s when the new queer cinema happened you know and i saw films like greg Araki's the living end or or you know zero patience those movies fired synapses in me that i didn't know i had and those movies were incredibly meaningful for me and they they you know they spoke to me directly into my experiences directly in a way i'd never seen in a movie before did I want to hear some straight person tell me about why those movies were formally flawed or had structural <laughs> issues? I did not. <laughs> and so I I respect the people who love this movie and who who are, you know, and, and I'm fully on board for what it's saying. I am politically on this movie's side. I just, I have a lot of issues with it, but I don't want to be the guy who's like, meow, 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 because I, I know that it's the kind of movie that transcends a lot of my bullshit about this and is going straight into the pituitary gland of viewers and being like, oh, fuck, this is a thing that we don't talk about. And this is a thing that affects so many people and that affects me and that affects people I love. And so I, I'm not here to yuck anybody's yum on that. So that's kind of why I'm hanging back on this episode. I am very fascinated to see what Emerald Fennell does next. And mm -hmm. I think there are some very cool choices here and some interesting performances here. Also stuff I'm not crazy about. But that doesn't mean that this isn't going to be a movie that people are very into. I'm thrilled that this movie is causing the conversations to happen that it is causing because they need to be happening. You're showing so much more restraint than I did when we discussed the Irishman. Now I feel <laughs> such I'm better guilt. Than you, <laughs> yeah. Oh, there it is. Okay, now I feel better again. Alonzo, if it makes you feel any better, I, 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 um, I think I kind of understand where you're coming from with this film. Mm -hmm. um, I too had some issues. Um, just about the narrative structure. I mean, I already kind of spoke about the, um, the Nina 
role and kind of sure. me just kind of changing streams at some point in the movie about that. Um, but I, I'm with you. I, I think there is some really good, interesting, like very like thought provoking uh, moments in this movie that I was kind of like, okay, well maybe if it doesn't kind of come together for me on a, in a whole package, I can take these parts and yeah. really like bite into them. I mean, honestly, like, the char- the characters the male characters in this film um were spot on like in terms of just kind of the t- archetypes of like these types of guys like <laughs> the david the foster Chris- wallace guy <laughs> yeah the, the christopher mintz plus is that yes. his name like yes. mclovin yeah well, no, McLovin. Not just, it's, i have not seen him in a movie in like a long yeah. time yeah. and i was all, like that all guy. of those guys yeah i will <laughs> say every single one of the men that's cast as someone she picks up is someone who has like McLovin. It's Seth Cohen from the OC. Totally. It's Sam Richardson. Well, from the Detroiters, I put on like the same thing as like the OC, but you get it. Um, And then there's another, I can't, oh, and even like Chris Lowell and Max Greenfield that in the final, like adorable, yeah, you get Schmidt from new girl as like the ultimate alpha frat bro. Mm. And the work, the, the shorthand lifting I don't think those things combine, but I'm combining them. The shorthand <laughs> lifting that's being done by that casting of um, it's not just we're told that they're good guys and their first questions are kind of nice. But I'm like, no, I know those guys. And I know we think of them as harmless or whatever. Chris Lowell as the ulti, like the big bad of this, um, <laughs> the person who assaulted Nina. I thought he was fantastically cast. He's Piz from Veronica Mars. He's like this like a cute potato white guy um i've sadly compared casey our producer to him before because i want casey to wear all of chris lowell's clothes from um the glow from the glow tv series but like chris lowell you're like sure nice guy but then when he turns and if we want to get into the ending now so nina has set this all up she's like maybe going to get better or sorry cassie she's mm-hmm. maybe going to let it go she's maybe going to move forward and then she finds out no even my new boyfriend's trash she discovers he's also was complicit directly in nina's assault and all of these things and she's like i'm throwing it all at the wall i'm going to go i want to go to his bachelor party to Al, the man who assaulted Nina, and she dresses up in a sort of exotic dancer, like nurse, nurse costume, latex. Yep. She goes. No one knows she's there ahead of time. Um, and she's going to confront him. And it is truly, I will say this movie, I, you know, and maybe it's some of the things that you have merit of issues with, but man, did I appreciate it. I never knew what was coming at any point. I did not know how this was going to end. I yeah. was like, are you zigging or zagging? Oh, we're not even, oh, we're going up. Like, it was just like, I don't see these directions. So she goes, she ends up with him. She's, her plan is to carve Nina's name all over his body after this beautiful speech of how what he did like he wa- she wanted to reclaim Nina in this way i found it a very powerful speech and then he gets the physical upper hand and he kills her by smothering her and before then he'd been weeping and pleading and begging like a child who has been told they're going to get punished over and over and then they finally get in they're like no oh, no i'm sorry and it was the most infuriating rageful heartbreaking and believable moment like yes and to me that ending of 
it was impacted me in numerous ways. I don't think women are allowed to like, as my friend Tessa said, leave it on the battlefield a lot. I think that there's saviors that come. I think backup arrives. I think whatever. There's something about that her going through this proved her point of, yeah, I've been saying trash exists here within none of you believed me. Yeah. And and now I've paid the price for that. Like this. And then her name, it's Cassandra, right? Like her whole thing. It's the name. Yeah. It's, it's this like well, I, no one be- listens. I think what really just tore me up is like is all like she went in with the expectation of dying. Like like she because you know that's how it like the plan hatches out. And the, it it's interesting because watching like all of her lessons and things it seems like, you know, she always like knows what's going to happen. Like she's like she and so like she comes in and so so I, I I was not ready to have this movie in with her dead. And I was like, you know, and I was, you know, as as much as I'm always like, people always want the heroes to win in the end and this, that. I just, I, this was the first time in a while that I was like a little like upset. I was like, because, you know, especially in a movie like this, you're, they're giving you this hit of like seeing her kind of get the, like with all the interactions she she had before, she's getting to see like the the result of like people finally understanding and getting it. And then for her final play, her final move, she sa- essentially sacrifices herself to re- finally get this guy to go to jail. Uh, and just at the end, when you see from Cassie uh, and Nina, it was like, like that. I don't know. That was that was, I was that was tough for me. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. It kind of, to me, you're right about the zigzag of it because it was like, at first I was thinking, oh, this is going to be her Miss 45 moment where she's going (laughs) to like do the Miss 45 thing. Then, you know, that didn't happen. And then something else happened after. So she gets the revenge part, but then, then she that scene of her dying was brutal. Like I, I was really shocked yeah. by it. Like I was like, Oh, it went there. And then I thought that was it for the movie. Like I was like, Oh, okay. That's how it ends, which is so bleak, but is a lot of times what actually happens. Right. And then the fact that it had that, that the last ending, the actual ending of the wedding and the texts and like the juice Newton song and all that stuff. I was like, wow, this is, interesting um but you know you're right like i don't think you're it it didn't occur to me until you just said it that like she had to have known that she wasn't she was doing it like to die like she was doing this with the intention of knowing that that she was gonna get killed by somebody you know or that at least it was a possibility yeah 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 Yeah, she set it up in that way um Uh, and you know it's interesting. I didn't. I didn't love that. I kind of. I don't yeah. know. I, I think it sort of gets into the weirds. Like, what is this movie saying exactly? Like the idea that the only way that she could get justice in this world was by killing herself or allowing her, putting herself in a place where her murder was a strong possibility. I don't know. I, I I have some scripty things with that, but you know, it obviously it 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 packs a punch. At the yeah. same time, it also feels like if this had been a movie made during the production code, like she would have to die for her transgressions as far as like the stuff yeah. that she'd been pulling off against men up to that point. So, I don't know. Uh, you know, in I, 5 yeah. years I may think a t- totally different thing. Yeah. Yeah. In a weird way, I feel sorry I didn't mean to cut you off no, straight, now, but uh it's almost to me it kind of like floats that idea 
that the law takes murder more serious than rape where like because she's dead now they're like okay we're getting to the bottom of this when she had as as strong of a case when she was raped and they're like we don't want to get into the he said she said and then when it was murder they're they're finally going to take him to jail well and not just the law but the audience like even you saying you know, if she'd left that party and was like, I showed them, then you get a bunch of people who get to look at that woman like she's the villain that, you know, she went in and she drugged these guys and she carved up one of them and certainly villainous acts. But is she the villain? Yeah. So there's something that it's playing with sympathy all along and how we distribute sympathy and empathy and are kind of hoarded and it's predetermined in so many ways. Emily Vanderweff also wrote an amazing thing about the ending that I really liked. And for her, it was this idea of, you know, also referencing 90s movies. We've seen um, this movie from the third act on so many times, but normally it's the first act. And then we follow the guys (laughs) who have to get rid of, oh, the hooker body, the stripper body without any consideration of what that body represented and what the story was of how that body was a person and got there in the first place. And I thought that was so interesting in a broader film context of, Oh, that's so true. Like, and, and um, Max Greenfield's character even makes a joke about it. Like, what is this? A nineties comedy. Yeah. And like, which by the way, if you walk into a room and there's a dead person next to your friend and you're making a joke, guillotine, Guillotine! <laughs> yeah, how desensitized do you have to be for that to be? Yeah, right? Know? Take him to murder court. <laughs> All right, well, uh, let's take this movie to m- not murder court and give our review uh, for <laughs> Promising Young Woman. Uh, so do we think uh, the way we um, we rate uh, the movies here, Millie, is would you snap it up on physical media, stream it, or skip it? Um, okay. I think I would stream it to be honest. Um, probably not something I would necessarily would immediately get on criterion collection, if you know what I mean. But I, uh, I think streaming it is like personally, I think people should watch it just to have an opinion and just to see what it does for them. Um, I think that's what, you know, people who like movies should do is just watch things that you know, even if they've heard bad or good stuff or mixed reviews or whatever, just watch it. Who cares? Watch for yourself. Um, but I'm ultimately, I, I am glad I watched it. I went in completely blind, just like you. Like I had, like the stars, like how stars are blind. Oh, yeah. Stop. <laughs> come on, I, Paris Hilton. Come yeah. on, you guys. <laughs> yeah, I I actually didn't know Emerald Fennell at all until I realized that she. I just finished The Crown and I realized that she was Camilla Parker Bowles in The Crown, and I was <laughs> like, oh my god, it's Camilla Parker Bowles. But anyway, um, I'm glad I went in blind too, though. It was it was a good experience to watch it that way. Yeah, I'm I'm with Millie. I would say stream it, and and I think Millie nailed it. It's a thought provoking film, and there are thoughts that should be provoked. <laughs> um, I must snap it up on physical media. Obviously, Alonzo, I don't know if you know this. This was a Sundance Film Festival. You film. don't say. It's so rare for me to mention this. Yeah, it was one of my favorite festival films last year. I've been waiting over a year for people to see it. And have these kinds of conversations because they knew they were coming. So it's been percolating for a long time. So I've seen it a few times already. 
Um, and yes, I also agree with Alonzo. Very excited to see what Ms. Emerald Fennell does next. Yes, I agree. This is also going to be a snap it up from yours truly. Uh, speaking of uh, Sundance, good picks. I was rewatching Dope, and I was like, Drea did good. Uh, I, I always I get no credit. I for always dope. I don't, always don't give me credit. Drea specifically, and she throws away. But if you ever get accepted in the Sundance, no, it was Drea it's Clark by it herself, single-handedly <laughs> in a room. Yeah, see, Wearing but, a green visor. No, zero power. <laughs> Minimal power in the back uh, of the room. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but we'll be right back after we hear from another show from Maximum Fun. Hi. Are you someone who thinks that when one door closes, another one opens? Someone who always sees the light at the end of the tunnel. If you answered yes to one or both of these questions, good for you. We are not those people. Nope. I'm Annabelle Gerwich, and I'm a, you know that other door opening? It probably leads to a broom closet kind of person. And I'm Laura House. When I see a light at the end of a tunnel, I assume it's a train headed right toward me. Laura and I have created a brand new podcast for people like us. It's called Tiny Victories. We're sharing personal tiny victories or things we've read or seen that inspire resilience. So if you're looking for a tiny reason to get out of bed each week, subscribe to Tiny Victories. Available on Maximum Fun or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get tiny! Welcome back to Who Shot You? I'm your host, Ifi Wadiwe. In the studio with me are Alonzo Duralde, Millie DeCherico, Drea Clark. And it's the return of the Who Shot line. So let's answer a call from one of our listeners. Casey, play that call. It's Alan from Savannah. I'm not entirely sure if the term sacred cow is culturally insensitive. So I will simply ask, what films can you just emotionally not handle any form of critiquing? Thank you. Love you. Bye. Ooh, this is good for for me because like I have uh, I have a few of of these. Um, I think one of those things for me is definitely um, going to be uh, um, Harlem Nights. I think that was a great movie, uh, capturing a great time in Black Hollywood. And I don't care what anyone says about how well. And it's always funny because I think that's one of those movies that you look up and you're like, I like this movie. And then it'll show you the little uh, Metacritic rating. And you're like, Obviously, my first film is going to be The Irishman. <laughs> you know, like, don't come at don't, don't come at Drea. JK JK, sorry. Uh, going back to Paddington Two. Yeah, I don't want to hear it. I Ooh, don't yeah. want to hear it from you. Mine, you guys, Dirty Dancing. Dirty oh, Dancing okay. Okay. is a perfect motion picture. Mm-hmm. It stands up. 2021 still acceptable. All, there's themes in it, performances. There's there's cultural stuff, political stuff, romantic stuff, and watermelon. the samba. I carried the watermelon. Like, I love Dirty Dancing, and also it represents, like, such a key part of my, like, puberty or just coming of age to be like, no, just get out of here. How dare you? Go, You go get in the corner. Like, uh-uh, I'll put you in the corner. <laughs> That's the problem of having come of age in the 80s is the, like the, that entire decade is problematic one way or the other. So there's almost yeah. nothing <laughs> that I grew up with loving that I can't point to and go, okay, well, you, yes, you have a point. You you know? Fast forward all the, yeah. One, another one for me is is Pacific Rim, which everyone... <laughs> <laughs> 
everyone has so many reasons why <laughs> why they're like this iffy you are off your rocker i'm like this movie pr- promised me big robots fighting big rock or, or, or monsters and they delivered on it yeah they fight answered, in the dark and at the bottom of the ocean you can't see a damn thing in that movie but there was a robot who used a freighter ship as a bat i oh. got it i okay. <laughs> If you must honestly, listen to the audible version of Pacific Rim for all the visual you're getting in that film. If he, like, my expectation for you was that you were going to say, like, Deuce Bigelow, Male Gigolo. Oh, so man. Pacific Rim's actually a step up. Yeah, yeah. They, they, you know, that movie could use a little work, Deuce Bigelow. Very little. Use you know? a little work. Just to polish. Just a, just a little, you know. Small oh, my gosh. Millie, how about you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, since you brutally stole my first answer which is dirty dancing i'm but yay i am i swear i never say this often but if there was like a dirty dancing convention that happened every year i would go i would pay like thousands of dollars to oh my god get get me a crane that pulls me up into that lift like (laughs) and then you get a photo op floating i don't want a green screen i want a crane pulls me up into that lift (laughs) Girl, we're gonna talk sidebar about Dirty Dance Con. Oh my god! And... I'll, I'll, let's. I could go all night. I love that movie so much. Ooh. But but perhaps p- close to that would have to be maybe the Step Up series. I Ooh. love the Step Up movies. I okay. love Channing yep. Tatum so much. Huge fan. I, I watched all of them in the movie theater the weekend that they came out, except for like five. I don't know if I saw that. And I actually don't know if that was ever released. On- oh, it no. Was. I, My I had to go see five it. the night it opened because okay. they, wouldn't have, they didn't have press screenings. I had to go buy a ticket. <laughs> after, after four, it gets a little hazy. But the first four, I definitely was there in the theater. I mean, I, I love them. I, you can't say anything bad to me kidding? about them. I've, the, like, the dance sequence from two when they're out in the rain. Oh, I've watched classic. just that. Also, Will Kemp is in that. And anyone oh. who like was young enough to be sexually influenced by the Gap ads that one Christmas with like Will Kemp. I can't even remember anyone else in it, but I was like, male ballerina, what am I looking at? Like, it blew my mind. <laughs> Drea, he's a Hallmark guy now. Stop it. Stop it. The Christmas Waltz with Miss Lacey Chabert. You guys, highest, we gotta wrap this up. Highest rated 2020 Hallmark Christmas movie. I got somewhere to be now. Come on, let's go. Um, uh, I'm, oh, please, please. No, I was just speaking of musicals. I mean, like Singing in the Rain. You cannot you cannot cut mm. it into pieces. It is a piece of perfection. Yeah. I, I know would it's put, an easy one, but. I would put American in Paris in that same thing. I know, you know that, I, I was just going to say, I know you're going to grimace, but like that 20 minute dance sequence I could watch for probably 183 minutes. <laughs> so, I, oh, also I, it holds up, there's so much in it, like story wise, it's so good and wonderful. Oh, I love it I, so I much. I feel protective of Gentlemen Prefer Blondes because it's now acknowledged by everybody mm-hmm. as a classic, but you go back and read like 60s and 70s dude film critics who can't <laughs> understand why Howard Hawks is making this movie about ladies. And uh, it's, yeah. you know, it's like, thank God for like Molly Haskell and, you know, Vito Russo and uh, all the people that saved us from white straight dude film criticism. Yeah. And that all the skin <laughs> on parade in that movie is hot male like gymnast flesh. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, well hope that we, answers your question, yeah, yeah, sir. Yeah, yeah. Thank I you think for calling. We, I think we had lots of uh, equally great, uh, <laughs> you know, answers to your question. So thank you <laughs> so much. And thank you to everyone who's ever called in. The number for the Who Shot line is WSY 803-1664. And now 
it is time for our staff picks. It could be any movie at all. So Millie, why don't you start? Oh my gosh. I have to say, I think that I got to go a little old school, obviously, because I work at TCM, but I love the best years of our lives. I've seen mm. it like 10 times. I just recently saw it again for, I think it was like a Frederick March thing. We were, I don't know. It was probably on TCM, which is sad. But um, I love that movie so much. I mean, it makes me cry. I love Frederick March drunk. He's been drunk in a lot of his movies, <laughs> and he's so charming and funny. Uh, and even in the ones where he's like supposed to be a bastard, I'm like, uh, but he's so funny and charming as a drunk. But anyway, I love that movie so much, and um, I just I love seeing it anytime it comes on. I think it's because he was a bit of a bastard, but oh, was he? it comes across. Ooh. Yeah, <laughs> I worked. I went to the University of Wisconsin, and I worked at the Frederick March Play Circle um. because he is from there. Um, and that's weirdly how I knew of him because I did not know who he was. I was like, oh, is this like a donor? But like yeah. that? No. <laughs> he's donor. he's a, he's an obscure one. I mean, like if I if you know Frederick March, I'm usually like. All right, Weirdly, you know a little something about movies, am I right? My staff pick was going to be a drunk Frederick March movie, except it's not streaming anywhere, so I'm not going to recommend oh Merrily God. We Go to Hell, oh God, directed yeah. by Dorothy Arzner. But in honor of Millie doing amazing work at TCM Underground, my staff pick this week is a movie that was lost to us for a very long time because of weird song issues or whatever. I still don't even know if it has gotten like a DVD or Blu-ray release, but she dug it out for for uh, Underground not long ago, and it's now rentable on Amazon and Apple TV. And that would be the 1980 coming-of-age classic Little Darlings, oh. starring uh, Tatum O'Neill and Christy McNichol as uh, rival girls at a summer camp who enter a bet to see who can lose their virginity first. It is... Uh, this wild piece of like feminist cinema, but also inappropriately sexualizing adolescent women. There's a lot happening at the same time, but written by women and uh, smart and very young Matt Dillon and Armand Asante are in it and like blink and you miss her baby Cynthia Nixon. Uh, it is a very cool artifact of the late 70s, early 80s uh, that has been uh, unable to be seen for a long time, but now you can and you should. Nice. Oh. Um, I'm not going to go that far back, but I am going to go to 2005. This film played at the Sundance Film Festival, Ew. but I bring it up because I think it's a good tonal and thematic companion to Promising Young Woman, and that is um, David Slade's first film, Hard Candy. Um, mm. It is as challenging and thought-provoking and conversation-starting as Promising Young Woman is. Um, and it is entirely... Um, it's Elliot Page's first film. It's like two or three years before Juno. And they're he's just a baby in it. Like, And that's part of it. And um, playing opposite Patrick Wilson. And after you see this movie, please go watch something where Patrick Wilson is nice so you can like him again. Because um, you'll need that. But there I aren't think a lot it's... of choices there. But uh... <laughs> Well, you can look at his arc on Girls. Um, the Conjuring. Or... Uh, pro or actually young adult. He's lovely in young adult. You're right. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, the whole thing is this cat and mouse between, um, 
Elliot Page and he play uh, Patrick Wilson plays this sort of lecherous photographer and you it's a shifting dynamic of who has power and who's running the situation predator and, and a, prey exactly and um, yeah I think it's it's artful and um, David Slade's a really interesting director I know him from music videos he did a uh, Twilight Eclipse but more importantly um, I find it funny because he did Black Mirror Bandersnatch which is really interesting oh. so um, but Hard Candy is currently free on Tubi. Yeah, totally the movie I thought about first when I saw the Promising Young Woman trailer for the first yeah. time. Yeah. Hmm. Well, you know me. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna ri- I'm gonna ride that wave, but instead of doing uh, something thematic, I'm gonna go. You know, using one of the uh, wonderful actresses, which is Carrie Mulligan, which is she's actually in one of my top favorite films. Uh, and I and I, I wanted Dre, do you would you want to take a guess of the film that she's in that I want to uh that I want to pick as my staff pick? I feel like there's no way you're gonna say an education or so, wildlife. Yeah. Um <laughs> I'm like, huh or, or Pride and Prejudice. Yeah, I can't think of anything trash she was in, so dang it. Oh, well, it's going to be Drive uh, because of oh, course your boy, because no. you know your boy loves himself some Nicholas Winding Refn. I did like Only God Forgives. I Neon Demon was, I even I was like, right, you got to relax, my bro. Uh, <laughs> you got you to chill Winding out is a- my new like euphemistic curse word, you know, oh, but, my- oh, <laughs> that winding movie. I, that's that turn me on ryan gosling i became a stan of ryan gosling after drive uh don't pretend uh, like you didn't watch new mickey mouse club (laughs) (laughs) so so that is uh my uh staff pick but it's time to get out of here so millie thank you so much for joining us anything you'd like to plug no, I uh, thank you for having me. This is so great. Uh, I I program something called TCM Underground that comes on Friday nights, um, pretty late on the East Coast. Um, it's like 11 p.m. on the West Coast, uh, but that's on Turner Classic Movies. Um, and then, um, yeah, the podcast, I Saw What You Did, I do with my good friend, Danielle Henderson. Uh, she's awesome we're, we're so excited to be talking movies, um, but that's for the, uh, it's on Exactly Right, but you can... Um, listen to it kind of every, anywhere so that's what i'll plug and okay. ms 45 which millie mentioned is also streaming on tubi right now Ooh. yeah i was looking at that i was like i need to peep that that seems great and yeah i think of fun uh fun i like the way you used it you're like oh i thought it was gonna be mr 45 thing i was like funny you should think that i would know what that movie is let me take <laughs> Let me let me go look it up. Let me keep go, Google uh, open when you're listening yeah, to the show. Baby. Yeah. Oh yeah. But no, it sounds amazing, and I think I'm definitely going to check it out. Also, I'm going to be pitching uh, Millie my my pitch for a channel uh, THCM Turner Hood Classic Movies with such films as Soul Soul Food, Harlem Nights, Ghost Dog. We're getting that. We're getting we're getting them all in there. Oh, I thought I'd you meant THCM. You on that idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, THCM. There it yeah. is. Yeah. <laughs> Andrea Alonzo. Thank you once again for another wonderful show. Any any quick pitches before we skedaddle? I, I, I do all the podcasts. Listen yes. to all of my podcasts. It, like <laughs> I said, it, it needs to be in your podcast stack. You should be hearing Alonzo a few more times before you get out of here. And all Dre's of Drea's like, too. Yeah. Oh, thanks. We know we're not the only one in her life. Yeah, yeah, I know. She's cheating on me, but it's okay. 
<laughs> it's okay. If you'd like to support the show, please visit MaximumFun.org forward slash join. If you'd like to purchase a Jumbotron, go to MaximumFun.org forward slash Jumbotron. It's 100 for a personal message and 200 for a promotional one. Again, the number for the Who Shot line is WSY803-1664. If you have a comment or suggestion about this week's show, tweet at us at Who Shot Chapada. Our Facebook group can be found on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Who Shot Your Podcast, or you can send us an email at whoshotcha at maximumfun.org. Our producer is Casey O'Brien. Our senior producer is Laura Swisher. And this is a production of Maximum Fun. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.